Hi folks, this is Andy, the analytical preacher. The Bible tells us in a couple of places that God is a jealous God. We need to understand what that means because I think we tend to automatically just think jealousy is bad. In fact, jealousy is a sin. Jealousy is caused by our human envy. We covet something that we don't have. We don't have full control of something or someone that we do want full control of. Somebody has another friend besides just having us as a friend, so we get jealous of them. And and I will agree, that type of human, that type of envy-driven jealousy, it is bad. But there are verses in the Old Testament where God tells his people that he's a jealous God. And because we think about jealousy in terms of human envy, these verses, they surprise a number of folks. I think, to be honest, these verses really upset a number of folks. If you've dealt with someone who's been jealous of you in some way, something you have or a friendship of yours, then you tend to see jealousy very bad. And then you read that God is a jealous God, and it's a little bit unsettling. So what I want to do is look at One of the verses where it speaks about this, one that I think is very illuminating, and then just look and see what does the Bible mean when it says that God is a jealous God. Let me go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is one of the books that is written by Moses to be given to the Hebrew people. Deuteronomy just means a second giving of the law. So you would think of Leviticus as the book of the law, and Deuteronomy, in a sense, is a second giving It's a summary recap, slight expansion in some areas of what was originally given in the law in parts of Exodus and almost all of Leviticus. And Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, says this, Take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. You shall not go after the gods of the peoples who are around you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Wow, that is just some bold in-your-face comments by God. Let's figure out what they mean and why he's speaking in such a manner. Let me start with this. The word that is used here that gets translated into English as jealous. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. That word is only used about a half a dozen times in Exodus and Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And it is only used when it comes to God. So it's only used about God or in relation to God, etc. The word that we would think about as being that negative, that sinful word is used in the Old Testament, but it's a different word that is used. And so translators generally translate it differently as well to make the distinction. The word is almost always, when human envy is involved, translated as covet. You think about the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, this idea of uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's possessions. That word covet is a different word. It's based on, it's motivated by this envy, by this feeling of inferiority. I'm either envious that you have something I don't, or because you have more than one friend, I'm based on my feelings of inferiority, 
I, I'm envious of that relationship you have with that other person because I want you to only have that relationship, that friendship with me. That word tends to be translated human to human as covet. And there's this word that's used about a half a dozen times that gets translated jealous that tends to only deal with God. And so this difference in these words and the use of these words has led most Old Testament scholars to, to phrase it this way. They say, God is not jealous of us, but God is jealous for us. God doesn't envy what we have in any way. God doesn't envy any of our possessions. He owns them all anyway. And God isn't jealous in these selfish, inferior human terms about relationships we may have or whatever. So when we turn to worship something else, when we give a person or a possession control of our life, when God has said, I need control of your life, I need to be Lord of your life, when we give that control or possession to a quote-unquote idol, to a possession, to a false God, to another person, God doesn't become jealous of us in the sense that we think about jealousy. Instead, you would say, God loves you with a perfect love. God absolutely knows what is best for you. God absolutely has plans of what is best for you. And God has shown you this by delivering you these gracious gifts. And so for the Hebrews, it would have been being rescued from 400 years of bondage and slavery. And for me, it would be being saved from the penalty of my sin. And so God says, you are a Christian saved by grace. You should want to follow me. You should understand I know what's best and I want what's best. And so when you turn to an inferior option, when you give control of your life over control of your emotions, control of your actions, control of your checkbook, control of your desires over to a possession or a person or an ideology, or a false idol, a false God and a false religion. When you turn control over to an inferior option, I'm not jealous of that option like they've done something that I couldn't do. No, I'm jealous for you because you're mine and I love you and I want what's best for you. Let me try to do sort of a Jesus-type example, a Jesus-type parable here. Christ would always break things down into these basic simple terms using characters that we could understand. So think about a parent. And you've got a parent, and they've had a child, and they've had a great relationship with this child growing up, and they've been really close, and they've been open with each other and so forth. As a child becomes a teenager, there's another individual who has a growing influence on that child, a growing and very negative influence on that child. And you can see that influence is going to take your child down a path that you went down when you were their age. And you have the scars and the emotional pain to prove that that's going to be an ineffective path. That does not, cannot, and will not end well for the child that you love with all of your heart. And you know it because you lived it. Okay, we can break that down into these two types of jealousy or envy or coveting or however you want to look at it. There's the sinful perspective that just says this. 
I'm a parent and this is my child and we've had this close relationship and it's been really awesome. And I was kind of not only their dad, but I was also their mentor and I'm kind of their teacher and I'm definitely their best friend and I'm the one that they look up to and think is the coolest and knows the most, et cetera. And now all of a sudden this person's coming in and they want to spend more time with them than with me. They think they're cooler than I am. They're being influenced more by them than I am. They're buying nice gifts for them, et cetera. And I can just become human jealous that another person and many parents will in fact struggle with that exact dynamic when children are younger and they're in your household and everything is done together as a family almost by necessity children tend to have a very different relationship with their parents than when they get into middle school and early high school the teenage years especially if they start driving that relationship begins to change and parents sometimes have a real struggle that they're no longer the sole light in the center of their child's universe. And sometimes they're a dim light far in the background and it can hurt and it can lead us to this type of human jealousy. But it's easy to imagine also. And within most human parents, you've got these two dynamics fighting for one another. But it's easy to imagine also a purely non-selfish perspective. Maybe this is your fourth or fifth or sixth child and you knew those teenage years were coming and you knew that that little girl that used to hold your hand and tell you that you were the greatest person in all the world and they loved you with all their heart, you knew those moments weren't going to last. But from a purely non-selfish perspective, you still want what's best for your child and you know the struggles that you went through And you know the struggles that some of that child's brothers, older brothers and sisters went through. And it breaks your heart. You're not jealous of that child's new friend. You're not jealous of that child's new friend at all. You're jealous for your child because you know that you want what's best for them. And this other friend is going to use them and leave them and crush them. And your heart is devastated at the thought. And there is no envious type jealousy. There's no human sinful jealousy involved. Being jealous of the other person. Being jealous of the other influence. You're jealous for your child. So again, in humans, those two dimensions tend to be split in every parent. But in God, there is none of the first dimension. There is no being jealous of the child's new friend or new relationship, etc. There's only this being jealous for the child. And to fully understand those verses back that we read in Deuteronomy 6, to fully understand them, we also have to consider another factor, which is this. From before time began, God has been working out, strategically planning for a worldwide plan of redemption. So before he made humans and we first sinned, knowing that that sin was coming, God has been preparing a worldwide eternal plan of redemption. And it's the biggest thing and it's the most important thing going. And when God saves us, when God calls a people to be his own, 
whether he's saved the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt and called them to be his own, or whether he has saved Christians from the penalty of our sin and called us to be his own. When that happens, we become what the Bible calls God's co-workers. We become part of his strategic resources designed to be employed to make God known and to help God bring his plan to fruition. God doesn't have to use me to bring his plan to fruition. God didn't use me to create the universe. He'll be just fine without Andy. But God says, Andy, my plan is to use you, is to call you, to save you, to rescue you, and to have you then be a co-worker for me. When you turn and give control of your life, Andy, to another thing, person, desire, ideology, philosophy. When you give control of your life to an idol or a false god of any description, I am still jealous for you as my most beloved child. And I still deeply want what's best for you as my adopted son. But I am angry at you because you are diminishing and tarnishing your ability to be my co-worker. You are losing your ability to point people to me. You are losing your effectiveness as an ambassador for my worldwide eternal plan of redemption. How dare you? Who called you out of Egypt? Who brought you out of the house of slavery? Who called you from the depths of your sin and paid your sin debt on a cross, being obedient even to the point of death? And God says, I did. And you've told me repeatedly in your prayers how thankful you are that I've done that for you. And I'm telling you, you're a co-worker. You're part of my plan You're one of my strategic resources, one of my co-workers to help me bring to fruition, to work until the very end, my plan of redemption for all the world and all the people. And I'm jealous for you when you go with an inferior option that leads you down a bad path and harms you not only spiritually, but almost always emotionally, mentally, and physically as well. But I'm angry. And eventually, if you are a co-worker and you're not going to do what you need to do, he's telling the Israelites here, I'll just wipe you off the face of the earth. Look, you have to make me known. You have to make me famous. The Psalms and the Old Testament tell the Hebrews, make known the great deeds of God to all the nations. We have to do that. And so, yes, God is saying in Deuteronomy 6, I'm a jealous God. I want what's best. And I'm not jealous because somebody else got some of your attention have friends, have close friends, be married, love your spouse, love your kids, be engaged with your neighbors, etc. I'm not jealous of your relationships with other people. I'm jealous for you when you give one of them control over giving that control to me. But I do get angry when you're not being a valid witness for me. I do get angry when you diminish your ability to be my spokesperson and to be my co-worker. So when we read that God is a jealous God, we also have to remember there are verses in the Bible that tell us that God is perfect, that God is love. There are verses in the Bible that tell us that God is incapable of sinning. And the Bible tells us because sin ultimately comes from inside us. 
sin begins with our own evil, sinful desires. And God doesn't have any of those evil, sinful desires. Therefore, it's impossible for God to sin. And so we would say, well, this says do not covet your neighbor, or that's a sin. It's one of the ten biggies. So if God is the jealous God, then God must be sinning. But we have to look at the other portions of the Bible that say, no, God is holy. God is actually given his character incapable of sinning in the way that we would think about it, in the way that we commit sins. And so then we say, so God being a jealous God isn't sinful. It must mean something different. It must have a different explanation, a different flavor, a different character to it. We see it's a different word assigned to God. And then we ultimately see it's different motivation that makes it up and that God's jealousy is just an extension of his pure and perfect love for his creation. Whereas our jealousy tends to be more self-focused on why am I not getting the attention I used to get from this person and now they're giving some to the other person, etc. Hope that helps on understanding what the Bible means that God is a jealous God or maybe set even some fears at rest for people who have read that and been confused by it. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, this is Andy.